Downloads of this show are available on Potomatic.com and the Potomatic mobile app. Hey, it's Dr. Lisa, and it's time for Dr. Lisa Gives a Shit. I give a shit. Uh, there's so much to give a shit about now. Is it, isn't it crazy out there? I love the uh, Amoroso plot line. That's my favorite now because it's just really silly and I can like totally laugh at it. Don't you? Find, I mean, it's just and it's pure entertainment. It's that's all I can say. It's fun watching Trump get uh, screwed by one of his own people. So uh, I'm in a good mood today. Anyway, uh, I uh, you know what? I got to get this out here right now before I forget because Tom will be so mad at me. Uh, but do you know what? We are trying to get into South by Southwest, which is really, which would be so great for us. And we're not even asking you for money. We're just asking you to vote. Come on. Don't you want to get Brooklyn out there? We do so much great programming here and stuff and this is literally one of the most inclusive uh, organizations I have ever even I've been part of or even been aware of. And that's that's the truth. So uh, why don't you go to RadioFreeBrooklyn.org slash SXSW and just vote for us. It won't even cost you anything. And I've done a lot for you, okay? I have done so much on this social media crap, liking your shit and reposting it and all that. And so does everybody else here. And you could help sell. All right. Did I guilt you into that? I'm starting to channel my Jewish mother, which is very upsetting to me. Anyway, um, I just want you to know. um, So I have this amazing guest here and right in front of me. Heather Fink. Say hi, Heather. Hi, Heather. (laughs) Classic. And uh, Heather, Heather, well, okay. So Heather moved to LA a year ago, right, Heather? That's exactly right. September yeah. last year. And Heather has been um, an incredibly well-respected part of the New York, Brooklyn comedy scene. Mostly, we haven't really hung together, right? But I'm really aware of her work. And uh, I remember um, when you direct did Sarah Benincasa's uh, focus group thing. I think that was like a really big deal. I love that. That was hilarious and all this other stuff. So anyway, I found out that Heather was coming back to New York for a short time. So she's here with me today. And uh, we were just going over what we were going to discuss. And there's so much to discuss. Uh, but this is what I think I think we sort of we're sort of going to settle on, which is the fact that, um, well, first of all, we have to talk about Heather's movie. Okay. I have to get organized here. I was out last week. Did you know that I was in Asbury Park with my husband doing nothing except, I shouldn't say, we ate a lot of pot cookies and sat on the <laughs> beach. But I mean, what do you, it's a vacation, okay? I feel a little guilty about it, but, you know, it was a vacation. It's not my real life. Uh, so anyway, um, she did this, so, okay, Heather Heather Fink. There she is, the lovely, gorgeous Heather Fink. She uh, went to NYU grad school film program, and uh, she was a comedian. She's doing a lot less performing now. She's actually uh, in a union and does sound and has made good money at that, right, Heather? That's correct. And uh, but what we and she's done like um, directed. She's a writer, director. And she's done all sorts of shorts for Comedy Central and stuff like that. Uh, the biggest project, and this is so impressive, and if you 
do look her up and find out anything about her. She was the writer-director of a feature film called Inside You. And I can see her face like it's a really, that was a big, that was like a big, was that the biggest experience you've had career-wise, Heather? Absolutely. I mean, a feature film is such a beast, you know? It was the um, most intense creative or career experience of my entire life. I've done, I've directed other projects since a few shorts, including Sarah Benincasa short was the first thing I directed after the movie. Um, and I've directed a TV pilot that was, you know, something written by SJ and Ginny, which are a great comedy duo. She's like in her 30s <laughs> too, folks. She's just in her 30s. Yeah, go ahead. And then most recently I've started directing shorts for College Humor. Mm-hmm. And I have a few new features and a TV pilot I've written that I want to get made. And I'm working on that right now. She's so fucking driven. That's what, <laughs> that's what you know, that's what I'm talking about. Um so anyway, the topic of uh, Heather's film is sort of what I'm interested in sort of exploring in um, a theme that I think the the film has a theme that I think sort of resonates throughout her life and her other writing and her other work. And that's a theme I want to find out more about where it comes from. But why don't you explain the plot of the movie, Heather? Sure. So inside you, which you can watch on iTunes, and you star in it. By the way, <laughs> oh, folks, yeah? she didn't. She didn't start out starting a star in it. But I think, aren't you glad you did? I mean, I know you didn't. I no, because I was I was watching you, and I thought that you really embodied the character better than probably an actor. Uh, you know, well, whatever. Go ahead. Thank tell us you. About I'm what not the films about. Well, well, I would say on that topic, I'm not unhappy with my performance, but I don't want to act and direct at the same time. I had lost an actor last minute and it was really hard casting that part. So I was just like, was very utilitarian about providing the role and the performance that the movie needed. So right. I was just laser focused like that. Uh, I was just like, well, this is what the character needs to be. I'll just be it. Mm-hmm. Um, the movie Inside You, which is available on iTunes, Amazon, Voodoo, mm-hmm. Google Play, and Xbox. <laughs> and um, there's a link on my uh, Facebook page. Wonderful. Thank you. Yeah, Inside You. Um, it's a comedy about a couple that switches bodies after a magic night with a sex toy. And, um, but, but what or it's happens, a magic sex but, toy. Yeah. But, Tell tell us about like what happens that like you you become each other's mm-hmm. you take over each other's bodies. Yeah, so it's really an exploration of gender, what it's like to be a woman for a day, what it's like to be a guy for a day, and actually the underlying theme of the movie was an exploration of my fears about marriage. <laughs> That's what it was really about. Uh-huh. Um, and as much as I like to talk about gender and. I wanted to portray what is the female experience? What is the male experience? There's only so many things. A movie can only explore things that can be seen and heard. And there's so much that's internal. And that felt more dramatic and less comedic. It was ultimately a comedy. So I didn't go everywhere, but I went someplace. Yeah, well, I mean, you can tell just from watching the... um, What do they call it? The trailer. trailer. (laughs) (laughs) trailer. I mean, uh, you guys did like an amazing job of like... A guy, you know, you're the male. The male lead gets his period. What does he say? It's so funny. It's like, oh well, he doesn't want at the end. Very like end I'm of, perioding really hard. Oh, <laughs> there's a character who's asking why they're being so weird and they don't know. So the guy's trying to be a girl and it says, "Why are you being so weird?" And so he says, oh, "I'm perioding really hard." <laughs> right, right, and then like, 
uh, the guy, the you, the female in the guy's body is mm-hmm. like, oh my god, I got a heart on. Yeah, and is exactly. Like well, the general stuff. thing is that the male character is terrified of being a woman, is very scared of it, and the female character is so psyched to be a man. And I feel that speaks to a truth in our culture, where you know, throwing like a girl is a terror. It's scary to be a girl, you know, and it's um, exciting to be a guy. So that was that was their. Uh, perspective each character's perspective throughout the movie and it's really like it's so it's so funny it like really it's just what you it just really made me imagine what it was like it was really funny but um so i wanted to um ask you about um we were going to talk about what um i have so many thoughts in my head i'm sorry i am like (laughs) So I was going to ask you, but I also want, oh my God. (laughs) Wait, can I just, while you're finding your words, just tell you thank you for all the kind things you're saying and for having me. Thank you. (laughs) I told you I took a week off and I ate a lot of pot cookies. That's Mm. the problem. So I wanted to ask you about your background and how that uh, plays into this. But we were also going, I was also going to try something new, which is starting off by asking you to tell us a uh, childhood trauma story. Mm-hmm. This is going to be a new feature on my show, so I thought we'd start with Heather. Go go ahead. Yeah, it's interesting because when you said childhood trauma, I, my mind was like, oh, family stuff. But I realized the most sing- the single most traumatic incident was actually a school thing. And um, when I was young, I was very mischievous. I was a class clown, and that's a huge part of who I am. And for women, that's unacceptable. For men, they're celebrated. A lot of my strengths and greatest qualities are things that are celebrated in women in men, and but they are punished in women. Mm-hmm. And so, in fifth grade, I was in this. They had a thing called gifted and talented program. I was in New Jersey public schools. It was around the year nineteen ninety, I guess. <laughs> um, and the gifted and talented program you had to like interview and it's for like special kids but like or creative and you're or, special and creative well, <laughs> it's true same, same. so i was in that but i guess i was the only troublemaker in that and i was kind of like hyper and everything and i one day came to school and everyone was there early and in the fifth grade classroom and this is public school mm-hmm. um there was a circle of chairs in the room and all the students all my classmates were sitting there and the teacher and there was a chair in the middle and they said and she said I have to sit in the chair and the topic of today's class is why is like the topic is why is Heather so bad and what are we going to do about it and wow that, that really happened to me and that sounds like child abuse and the the charges were the these offenses one was that my dad had a copy machine in his home office and remember troll dolls sure those? So I would photocopy them and I made a mag- a fake magazine, obviously, <laughs> called Play Troll Magazine. Mm-hmm. And it, I drew like sexy lingerie on the trolls and made it like a sexy troll. And how old were you? And I was in fifth grade, whatever age that mm-hmm. is. Pretty I was close. proud of it. Like I would make things I thought were funny and I would distribute these things. And I know that was one of the offenses. And the other offense was I was taking um, balloons and filling it with sand and selling them as like, stress balls didn't exist yet, okay? Yeah, right. (laughs) But selling them as like these squishy balls that you could buy. And they were popping in the school and then there'd be like sand in the hallways. Okay, Which wasn't like the point, but I was trying to be a little entrepreneur. And then I would buy, remember Warheads candies? 
Uh, no, I'm too old. Okay, well, they were this hot candy at that age, and they were like either super sour or super mm-hmm. hot, and I bought them at five cents a piece and sold them for 25 cents a piece, piece, which is also against the rules, and I think you should reward this, but no, I was punished, and it, and I was, we were t- they were talking about how bad I am, and everyone had to share why I was bad. <laughs> That's so awful. That was Don't awful. you think? Did your parents... Yeah. What, oh, like, parents what did your parents say about that? That seems yeah. horrible. What, um, what, what, how was that treated? They were home? really mad. Actually, my parents were really great about... I had a lot of teachers punish me and they tended to take my side a lot, which is special. My dad was very especially encouraging um, because he always had an attitude of sticking it to the man and not trusting the man Mm -hmm. and not trusting teachers always. I had teachers I loved and got along with really well. Um, and then teachers who just thought I was no good trouble and not acting how a woman should act. Did you um, get good grades? I did in the classes I liked, actually. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, if if I didn't like the teacher or I mean, there's things that I've learned as an adult. My, my I feel my parents raised me with manners and things, but there's teachers I didn't respect when I was younger because <laughs> they don't deserve it. Maybe. Yeah, I mean, I had my reasons. Looking back on it, I think I did behave inappropriately. Here, one example is I was in this English class and there's this teacher who has since decades later been found. We found out that he like was he got a hand job from one of the students and other weird stories like that. Is that is really weird. You know, and as a kid, you like hear these rumors and you're like, oh, my God. And as an adult, you're like, that's so wrong. But that teacher wanted to be cool with the cool high school students. Mm-hmm. This is in high school. Mm-hmm. And he sat at the chair in front of the class and started talking about his weekend and all these things. And I raised my hand and I was like, hey, so we just read this really important book. And maybe you could stop talking about your weekend and we could learn something and we could go over the book. And of course, that's not an appropriate way to speak to an authority figure. But I just didn't really... that. That was, I mean, I look back on that attitude. I know better now. I wouldn't, that's so rude. But at that age, I just was like, I don't know. That's how I was well, a teenager. you know, we were talking um, about how a lot of your writing, like one of the things that I said to Heather earlier was that um, if you look at her Facebook page, and I've been following it and reading it for a few years, and you really do take the time to put yourself out there and talk about really uh, difficult and personal topics, but in a thoughtful, I think, productive way, um, including, you know, your family and, um, you know, politics, racism, sexism, and stuff like that. And I think that's probably kind of natural for you. Yeah. Um, but um, I want to hear how you were brought up because you you have such a funny uh dichotomy about like being this like on the surface i think that people react to you as like a pretty blonde nice delicate nice (laughs) nice and you know the way the way you present is Mm -hmm. let's just say feminine and and nice a nice person but the way and i don't think i don't get a feeling of anger from you but and i don't think you're angry but i think that you have really strong opinions and you're really good at putting them out there in a direct way and a direct and honest way thank you i've been hearing more from other people lately that they think i'm nice or oh you're so nice and i always find it shocking or weird or surprising like you think i'm nice that's so weird because i guess the world often hasn't told me that like people who know me just on a surface level think that and 
I know that in the important ways that life has tested me, I'm a person who's caring for others. But I mean, it's hard. It's a weird thing to say about yourself. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like, well, we'll see. I, it's something you'd rather other people say. Okay. Well, here's a quote. <laughs> here's a quote, folks. So this is uh, something that Heather wrote about Anthony Bourdain or about suicide after he died. Uh, uh, so about depression, solving it aside from meds and therapy, the magic formula, productivity and creativity with a side of communication and getting out of your mind house. So, see, that's the kind of stuff that uh, I totally agree with. And I think that 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 that's that's a nice thing to say. It's not a simple thing to say, <laughs> yeah, but yeah. it's a nice thing to say. Thanks. Maybe it's a dark, uh, slightly dark thing to say. I guess my brand of nice is a different. It's I don't think of my I don't think of myself as a harmless flower that I think we associate right. with nice. I think I am proactive if if I can help someone in some way, I'll do it. And I often I feel that once I know what the right thing is to do, if I don't do it, I can't live with that. Mm-hmm. So there's that whole thing about. Uh, justice and injustice being silent in the face of injustice is being wrong and I can't accept that for myself um so I do speak up whenever I can and it has made a difference and hey you know what I figured out when I've gotten depressed that it that productivity creativity and getting out of your mind or thoughts and just you know productivity can be as simple as washing a dish walking down the street and leaving your room and it's very hard when you're depressed to even believe that that will work, but it does always work. Yeah, you know, it's funny because I remember in college taking Ingmar Bergman film class, and the first thing I did after the movies was over is go home and wash the dishes, which with my four male roommates we had a ton of. So that, that I get it. I get it. But I wanted to find out how you got the way, how you got mm. this way. So um, you grew up in, how did you grow up? Okay, so I grew up in suburban New Jersey with a Dutch mother, um, from the Netherlands, she moved here. She met my dad on a. Tr- I mean, it's, I'll try to. Talk. She was born. She was. Does she have, mm-hmm. speak with an accent? Everyone else hears it, but I don't because I okay. just hear mom. But right. yes, she's from Enschede, which is on the border right. of Germany, where Grolschbier or Grolschbier comes from. Mm-hmm. And she met my my dad was drafted in Nam and and wow. stationed in Germany, and he met her on a train from Germany wow. to so Holland. <laughs> <laughs> so they dated for a few months, and then he flew back with her to the U.S. She was psyched to get out of her little poor Dutch village, and uh, I grew up in the su- suburbs. I mean, one, this is a whole other thing, but my grandmother. And my uncle were paranoid schizophrenic, and my uh-huh. dad's—that's a—that's a your huge... grandmother and your uncle. Mm-hmm. Wow! So your grandmother and her kid. Yeah, her oldest son, and it's—it's it's a huge issue in my life, and it's hugely impactful on who I am and how my family is. That my dad was—I ra- mean, his father was a genius, an actual genius. Um, what did in which like how how was it manifested? Just they used to test people's IQ more back in the right, day. Right, like, what did he do? Yeah, well, he was a professor. Like he went to Columbia at sixteen mm-hmm. and was a professor of his. The longest place he taught was at RISD. Wow, and he was basically the professor of everything that wasn't art. So he would teach oh. math and physics, and <laughs> he wrote and composed music. He did all kinds of stuff oh wow <laughs> like i bet he knew my old roommate dagmar printer 
I mean, I find out, but maybe. So that's uh, you know, you um, guys know RISD, right? Don't you guys? You guys sitting in your basements there? It's a really good school. One, you, I don't know if you ever could get in there. I know I could, but anyway. Oh, you never know. Don't you say? No, that. I don't want limited well, beliefs. You know, if you sailed. wanted, if I really <laughs> if you wanted, wanted. my if niece just thought she wasn't getting into any college, and she got into everything she applied to with a scholarship. So. You know. Well, anyway. Yeah. So, <laughs> well, okay. So, long story short, is that my dad had the this dichotomy, dichotomy in how he was raised, where his father was a genius, his mother was schizophrenic. So, his father had this amplified mind, his mother had this mind that was sort of taken from her. Schizophrenia hits when you're around your late 20s, early 30s. Mm-hmm. So, you can live your whole life and have this full life, and people love you and know you, and then boom. So we're thinking that your grandmother and your grandfather were married and had kids and had a normal mm-hmm. life. And then one day, yeah, one day she was gone. And it is a long story and it's a painful story and it's an important story. Mm-hmm. Um, but what? it's a part of like when I say like how I was raised, my father is a guy who's really smart and really sweet and silly and charming and full of life. Um, but he wasn't was essentially not raised because fatherhood wasn't valued in his father's generation so fathers like there wasn't a sense of father your children and Mm -hmm. he's the only parent with his sanity and so my dad was kind of just like a feral kid was it just him and his brother well he had three brothers there were four of them and one of them had schizophrenia the oldest one yeah and then there were the three of and the oldest one was also a genius first so it's a devastating loss yeah yeah it's a devastating loss like did you know did you know the schizophrenic uh, well, it's a really long story. Okay, we don't have to, we, I could just say that he was. Have you met him? That's all. I, well, I met him two months ago for the first time oh, after okay. him being lost in the system because he's technically, in a way, property of the system of Rhode Island uh, or the state of Rhode Island. He was mm. committed to the state of Rhode Island, and we couldn't find him because of patient privacy. And mm-hmm. I just didn't want to give up and was searching and searching. We finally found him two mm. months ago oh, after forty years. Wow. 40 years of being estranged. Well, that that could be a whole hour. Easy. It's easy. Whole- <laughs> no problem. So, but it's but just, we're here to talk about you. Yeah, so yeah. what about um, your, your um, was your grandfather, was your father's father? He was mm-hmm. obviously had to take care of a schizophrenic w- wife and a yeah, child. And, he, and how, was that, how did that work out? Or what was that like, do you think? I don't know exactly because... But both of my dad's parents died with us, actually. My grandpa lived with us when I was in fourth grade oh, for a wow. year when he had cancer. My mom's been a caregiver for a long time. Wow. I mean, really. Um, so you were around that as a kid. Yeah, and, and I loved being around them. And then my grandma came to live with us from when I was a freshman in high school through my sophomore year of college. And um, she was she's so crazy in the most sometimes the most delightful way i bet I mean, she was such a colorful i loved her a lot uh, we all did i mean sometimes incredibly deeply frustrating of course i it's a whole so how many thing. brothers and sisters did you have my sister who's seven years older i have one mm-hmm. sister and um, are you guys close well, we have difficulty connecting and it is the source of my greatest guilt. Uh, and my, I feel a lot of guilt around it. And I, I am, as an adult, trying to still figure out how to be better so that mm-hmm. I don't get so far. I mean, I just saw them all this week in New Jersey and we got into a huge fight and, uh, and I, don't, I don't know how to communicate with her and I need to figure that out. Mm. Um, so do you have an idea of, uh, of how, how that 
relationship went wrong or went went into a direction that's <sighs> not a positive one? I mean, we're really, really different in every way, mm-hmm. and we don't gut each other. And I think my parents are two different, very extreme personalities. My mom has a really big personality too. Like mm-hmm. she, my mom was this working woman, and we talk about how I was raised and who, why I am the way I am. In the eighties, my mom was a builder. And that wasn't even a, a builder. Thing. A builder, yes. Wow. Um, she is this Dutch woman who's very smart, but in her generation, women didn't get to go to college unless they were wealthy or becoming, or people would go to be a doctor or a lawyer, especially in the Netherlands. Mm-hmm. Um, my mom was a teenager in like the sixties, and um, even though she's very smart, it's you know she married my dad, and she was a part of the Boston University Wives Club while my mm-hmm. dad pursued his degree, mm-hmm. even though. My dad later became this like mad scientist and inventor. What did dad do? What did <laughs> well, he, do? he did. Um, he worked in computers for a while, and then he was a scientist, and he was developing new methods of water filtration. And his science mind was so sharp, and he came up with all this stuff that's ahead of its time. Mm-hmm. In the early nineties, getting into home, trying to put out homeopathic medicine, which is hot right now. Really getting into woodmill technology. Does he have like patents and stuff like that, or that's involved with patents? No, people would steal his stuff all the uh, time. But, but really at that level of work. Yeah, and he he just had a disorganized business mind right. and he never really brought home the bacon, but he was a very supportive father and, and I have a very close relationship with him. He's currently, I talk, he's a stroke victim. He had a severe stroke mm-hmm. uh, eight years ago, mm-hmm. is alive, but is, you know, his body's mostly paralyzed mm. and he can only say hi, so, yes and no and hi. Oh, <laughs> so it's really depressing. Really, really difficult. Um. But he's alive, and um, yeah. So my mom, wow. <laughs> she was a so very that's strong a tough place right now. Yeah. Um, but it sounds like growing up, your mom was kind of um, a good businesswoman, right? Oh yeah. What is a builder? Okay. So as a builder, so there's different things. So as a builder, she was in the day. This is well before there was Martha Stewart or TV shows like that. Um, she was into be- building beautiful homes. And so mm-hmm. she, as the builder, she was the head of site and she would, the site, and she would hire all like the great painter, a great landscaper. Mm-hmm. And she would actually, when I was little in preschool, I would visit the building sites and oh. have so much fun running up and down those hills of dirt. And I like, <laughs> I, I loved it. I Entertaining loved it. the workers. I um, bet that would be fun having a little girl like you running around. I absolutely loved it. And so I was raised with this. Okay. So, and then around 1990, the building market went south and wait i want to ask you one question sorry so did she own the business or was she working for somebody it was her business so there's uh theoretically a lot a lot of money in that no Mm. (laughs) we're managing a lot of money my parents both grew up with with they didn't grow up with anything they were on their own so there was no like a lot of entrepreneurs of today really grew up with a little uh i guess you call it a nut or a, a base and they didn't really have that um, but I will say this, the building market went bad around nine, 1990. My mom was like, okay, I have to get out of this. We, we, we made, we made ends meet for sure. Yeah. Um, but then she, from then on started working in New York city and worked her way up from secretary to executive in the, mm-hmm. in that time. My mom was a business executive, mm-hmm. um, by, you know, the late nineties and she, without, with only a high school education. Holy shit. And she just worked her way up to being this really award-winning 
um, individual at this company, uh, LexisNexis, which was a big yeah, deal at the time. Yeah, I know. It, yes, <laughs> she it was a, an executive yeah. there. And my that, husband will be very, very impressed. Oh, wow. Well, yeah, my mom is an impressive wow. woman. And then my dad is a scientist inventor. He's a huge influence on me. He never really, like, he, in the 80s, he had more of an office job, but he was always, like, this independent spirit. He never really, you know, brought home bacon in that way, but he had his business from the home. So what I'm getting is yeah. that your mother, um, the role models you had is your mom was like a very, um, what's the word? I don't know. Like a very, you know, a great example of what a woman like kind of almost having it could be. Yeah. yeah. Admire. And I really. in no way, if some people say such bad things about working moms or, oh, they weren't there. I never felt she wasn't there for me. She showed up. We had family dinner together every night, every night, mm-hmm. even though she has a two hour commute from the city mm-hmm. with traffic. And she was there for me. Like I had a mother and I had a father too. And I reflected, I realized as I got older what a feminist my dad was because the word feminist was really never uttered in my house. We just, Mm -hmm. we lived it. Mm -hmm. And it was that I never heard my dad ever speak as though there was anything odd or undesirable about my mother's power and status. Mm -hmm. He never felt insecure that she Mm -hmm. made money. He never felt, um, we never heard words in our house that a woman couldn't do something instead like I still remember sitting in the car with my dad and him telling me you know I think I was like 13 and he's like you could do anything you put your mind to and I was like no dad like I'm too I can't be a gymnast I'm not really good at that and he's like no but if you tried you could <laughs> and it was like That's I was cool. goofing around but I will not forget those things that were so that are so I'm such I've always been such a confident mother I can say this is called Dr. Lisa Levy gives a shit so I, can, <laughs> my, I was a confident little motherfucker I was sounds like it I was aware that other women didn't raise their hand and I wanted to raise that hand and I wanted to show like so did you feel from an early age that you sort of wanted to stand up you did so mm-hmm. were you were you clued in at an early age that girls weren't treated Fairly. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I saw get myself getting punished for things that boys were celebrated for. And the spirit of my soul that I like wanted to express was often being squashed. And I was so I've had the I mean, I made a body switching comedy. The penis envy in me is so real. Really? Why? Is it not because <laughs> is it because of the sexuality or because of the power? It's because of the power that I just want to be appreciated for more than my packaging and my Uh abilities are. I was raised in a household where women were viewed as being valued for so much more. And it wasn't until I was Mm -hmm. shocked that the outside world felt otherwise. Mm -hmm. I'm also going (laughs) to say that um, earlier I got you to admit that, you know, you're pretty. (laughs) I'm just telling this. Okay. to my listeners because okay. it's it's radio and they don't know anything mm-hmm. um so anyway heather is a really pretty blonde and all that stuff and she 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 i got her to admit it she knows it and so the point i'm trying to make is that i wonder if you were being penalized because you were pretty because people i mean i wonder yeah. if you had a different experience as a pretty girl 
than uh, somebody else in your class who wasn't as pretty or something like that. I mean, what do you yeah. think? Do you think you were more am, aware of it? Because yeah, I, well, here's what I believe on that. And you don't look like a troublemaker. That's <laughs> I mean, the way you look and what we're talking about. Are right. Two things. Well, OK, on the one the first off, you said to me, do you know you're pretty? And I said, how can I not? How mm-hmm. can I not? The world makes a really big deal about it. They mm-hmm. constantly tell you like it's the most important thing in the world. Mm-hmm. And people get really, I mean, as I, when I'm, I do pay the bills doing sound for like movies yeah. and TV and I push around really heavy equipment. And anytime I'm in public, everyone makes a big effing deal over what, oh, do you need help with that? Oh, they shouldn't, they shouldn't make you push that. I'm like, how should they not? This is my, I am earning a living right now. Back that fuck off. So you mean the other people on the set? No, uh, just if you're working in New York oh, City and you're pushing out on the out on, out on the set, street on, in, in public on the in public set. in oh, front that's of people, hilarious. they make such a big it's like deal. The opposite of cat and I'm like, <laughs> well, yeah, do not no, just or do not sink. touch my equipment. I am right. liable for it. Get your damn amateur hands off of my shit. That's hilarious. Uh, and so it drives me nuts. But so people make a really big deal out of your looks mm-hmm. and you being that and. It's, it has like no value. I, okay. So it has some value, I guess, that as I, you know, when I, I'm 37 now and when I was 30, I was afraid I was losing my looks and I was single because the world is designed to make you feel bad sure. about your looks. And you, even if you're pretty, you'll always doubt how pretty you are. Well, I'm pretty, but I'm this kind of pretty. And that you'll always, no matter who you are, not like something about your appearance and have it drag you down because our society is designed to make you hate your body and face. <laughs> Right. But on the other hand, the feedback from public is so intense. And I believe that every single person's people, I've heard this thing about pretty privilege. And I know that that exists for certain things, but it depends what you want in the world. I'm not, I'm not, yeah. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking yeah. about the way you're processed by the population. Right, out right. There. Like, well, yeah. Well, the population will give you free drinks and try to fuck so you. you get, <laughs> see, yeah. So, yeah. So, and also maybe because you're confident, people are more willing to see you as pretty. Yeah. In in a way, right away. Um. Yeah. I mean, there's only there's certain things that gets you, which I guess are kind of nice sometimes. It's not a bad thing. We all, I guess, were it's ingrained in us to want it. I do know that I am in a certain packaging where the world wants me to be a certain way. But right. I mean. I wrote this thing when I was 16. I wrote a lot of poetry. I wrote a lot. <laughs> oh. uh, and I had this little piece of paper I always kept that said, like, why, God, why would you give me a mind to think and a heart to feel if all you wanted to do is fuck me? <laughs> and that's how you I wrote that. Yeah, when I was 16. Genius. because Brilliant. <laughs> well, when, I, when you're that's 16, everyone's trying to fuck you. Everyone. Um, and that's so all they want to do. <laughs> I want to ask you about your sister. So uh, um, is she... Well, we don't have to. We don't, I want to. We don't okay, have to talk about okay. it. But anyway, I just wanted to know what um, her role is in as a female is. Or how did she... How did my she, sister and um, she's seven years older she's than seven you, years older which yeah. is a lot so she and i you know i idolized her when i was little and then as we grew up it's just that she she's more of like a family like uh marriage and kids and uh, at one point was more politically conservative and now has adapted her views in today's world of course which is good um and we just didn't see eye to eye on lifestyle or world or, and like, you know, like she wanted to be in the suburbs. I'm more of a city person. So what we desire and and enjoy mm-hmm. in life is just very different. Is she, you sound like you're pretty in line with your parents. Is she in line with your parents the way you are? Um, there's things that she shares in common with them, but uh, 
Is she more conservative than She's now? more conservative and she's more cautious in things. But I, you know, I, I, she's a stay-at-home mother and my mom wasn't. So in that way, they're different. But there's a lot of qualities that they share in common, you know. So mm-hmm. I don't, I... It's like I have things that I get frustrated with and annoyed about my sister, but I respect her and value her. And I know that she just sees things differently. So I'm very hesitant to speak about her negatively in sure. a way publicly. Yeah. No, good. So even if like privately, I'm like, oh, that annoys me. Yeah, like well, I don't think that it's like we've out, we like different things. Well, I mean, what I'm curious, what I'm thinking anyway, is that um, your parents sound um, really perfect sort of oh. to set up for... <laughs> Not perfect in general, but I can see where yeah. you came from because yeah. you have a very strong mother who takes her power almost for granted. She's, you know, it sounds like she she doesn't question whether she deserves it. Mm. And your father sounds like kind of a fun, really smart mm. guy. And they're just a team. And no, there's no, doesn't sound like, you know, your mom's trying to have power because she makes more money. There's none of uh, that going on. There's not on. that. What is going on is there are two opposites in every way. My dad's Jewish. My mom's Christian. My mom's from Holland. My dad's from America. My mom's a perfectionist. My dad is so scatterbrained and like all like messy. And so I grew up in a home with a lot of loud arguing and we're very expressive and we're very dramatic. But for all that loudness, for all the ridiculousness, we're also extremely loving. So every single member of my family, what we all share is we are loud and passionate and (laughs) explosive, which, you know, isn't Brady Bunch perfect and our Thanksgivings yeah, have been lonely no. and yeah no I'm not. yeah like my mom's family is huge and they're all in Holland and my dad's family is sort of scattered and we've grown closer recently but you know it's a yeah I mean I guess <laughs> I guess I'm just yeah. picturing I wonder if your sister was more different like than the rest of your family that's all yeah I mean I think that she embraced. I don't, I, I, you know, I don't feel comfortable speaking for her. She's not here. I got to say, there's almost everything I want to talk about, but I don't, I'm afraid that if I talk about certain things that would come off as negative or judging her, I I don't want to do that. No, no, we don't, we don't want to do that. Um, It's just, it's just, it's, it's, we're very different. Yeah. We're very different people. uh, And that's, that's what I can say about that. So let's um, talk about, um, you, you said that you wanted that um, you, can we talk about um, dating, marriage, oh, sure. marriage? Oh, you were, sure. I mean, I'm a big, I'm, I'm a big, you know, I didn't get married till I was 54. And I'm like, I think marriage is like, I think it does undermine women a lot. Mm-hmm. So um, have you ever been in a position or have you? Yeah, I mean, recently, my last boyfriend, I thought he was it. I thought that we were going to move to L.A. together. And he mo- he and I moved to L.A. the same month, a few weeks apart, uh, for our own careers and our own lives brought us there. And I just thought, oh, this was the one. How and long then, had you been dating? We dated for only a year, but we were like 35 and we thought we know each other better. We got along so well together and we were just going to move in together, you know, but we did talk about marriage and how we'd like to have a wedding and those things. And I, I thought about that stuff. And so I've had a lot of boyfriends. I've been in love a few times, which mm-hmm. is wonderful. And I've been single also for mm-hmm. a lot of my life too. Mm-hmm. 
uh, I had a boyfriend at 23 that I moved in or was about to move mm-hmm. in with that I thought I would marry. And I've been there a few times over and I'm so psyched and into being there again and again. I don't care. <laughs> like I'll fall in love again. Mm-hmm. Like, of course, everyone wants the one they love to be it. And every time I've been in love, I wanted them desperately to be it. Um, I had someone on and off relationship for nine years. Mm-hmm. I've made certain choices. I believe that life works out how it does. And I've learned s- such valuable things from each person that mm-hmm. came into my life. And I'm, I mean, we, we got into talking about this other stuff for a totally different reason, which was that I had dated some famous people. Um, and we were talking about it for a different reason. But I think about, oh, if I married at 23, I wouldn't have had these other wild experiences. Um, and not that famous is like so amazing, but it is such a unique thing to mm-hmm. experience. Yeah. And, and like go, having an open door into those worlds um, is very interesting and uh, valuable experiences that I wouldn't have, I would have cut myself off from if I got married young. And uh, I do think I'm totally open to marriage at some point. Uh-huh. Um, so you don't really have any any particular hesitations about it? In- I do. I do. I've had them marriage has meant something different to me at different ages um i think that the marriage top i mean i explored it a lot in my in inside you my Mm -hmm. my fears about it my fears about going from like the hot sexy girlfriend to the we we are a marriage a wedding obsessed culture Mm. that's extremely negative on marriage Mm. we put down oh my ball and chain my wife uh, we always talk so bad mm-hmm. about spouses in the public discourse like they're boring and non-desirable right. not desirable anymore and to become that um and when you're like it's all about the wedding it's all about the party but our society sends out such pessimistic negative messages i agree that's why i mean <laughs> um that's why i didn't want to get married there was yeah that, yeah and um, that you're literally property the whole name changing thing i just hate the whole thing i mean not i don't know if you changed your name or not no but. are you kidding well i didn't want to get married i mean there's actually my yeah. friend spencer made a film about it but um a documentary about us getting married but um the thing is is that i felt that way also in in that um, I felt like, especially since I got married so late, mm-hmm. that I had achieved all these things in my life where I had I had done all this stuff and made all this stuff happen as a single person or mostly single person. And all of a sudden, like getting married is the most the best, most important thing, yeah. biggest achievement ever. And I think that I think marriage is really you know, well, anyone can do it, right? It can, well, yeah, the whole institution is, and well, here's what disrespectful I disrespectful to women. How's that? Uh, well, the the original design of it. Now, if today you're just talking about a healthy relationship between two people that want to be together, that's that's the ultimate. Here's what I think. I think there's a ranking of as far relationship status. The top of it is happy, satisfied relationship. The next rung is happy, satisfied singledom. The next one is unhappy singledom and the bottom is unhappy marriage because unhappy singledom is superior to unhappy because then you're at least free and you're on your own and no one's you're not stuck in a thing and uh and so i think a wonderful relationship is great but i will not settle for anything i'm not gonna go through commitment and obligation and having to factor someone else into my life decisions Mm -hmm. unless i absolutely want them and i won't settle out of insecurity and a lot of people do and a lot of people get divorced yeah so and yeah (laughs) night i considered that naive i think uh having a relationship is hard and a lot of work mm-hmm. and i think people 
think it's going to be a lot easier. Just like yeah. having kids, it's going to, do you want to have children? I do. And so being thir- turning 37 this June felt ser- serious and scary because I'm like, I can just... You really know you want to have kids. I, I do. I okay. really do. But I accept if it doesn't happen. I'm not going to freeze right. my eggs because I think it's a sexist fuck. <laughs> I'm using that F-bomb again. But I no, think it's a screwed up... Say fuck. With the, this it's a fucked up industry fuck. like that preys on women's fears and insecurities. And I just, I hope that I can have a child naturally. I hope that. And if it doesn't happen for me, it may break my heart. But uh, how old am I going to be when I have the baby? Like mm-hmm. if I'm so old that I'm not fertile anymore, like how hard on my body would it be to have the baby and how hard would it be? I mean, my dad was 38 when he when I was born. My mom's 31 and I have an older parent. My dad is ill and and it's hard also, too, on the kids to have a parent that's super old. So yeah. there comes a point where it's not going to happen. And I don't want to judge other people who are older as parents because I may be 45 or however old and tr- at least trying. I don't know. Maybe that's what my life will bring. Well, it's totally an individual thing. It's yeah. however one person experiences doesn't necessarily mean anything to anybody else. Yeah, all, but that's we're my, all on our own path here on this one. I really would like to bring up children. And if it doesn't mm-hmm. happen for me biologically... I've always said that I'll do it if I get rich at some point or become successful financially or make like a career milestone, then mm-hmm. I'll have them whether I mm-hmm. have a partner or not, or not. And ideally, I do have a partner, um, but I'll have them one way or the other. And by have them, I mean, if I can have a biological child, great. But I will, if I have the money, I'll definitely adopt. I will without question mm. adopt. I know that that's mm-hmm. what I want to do. I think it's Oh, you can like actually save someone's you, life in a really meaningful way. True, true. So, are you dating anybody now, or are no. you dating in general, or are you uh, just really busy? I'm busy. I don't enjoy dating. I enjoy being in love, and I enjoy romance and sex and all those things. But I am so picky, and I don't like her. Like dating involves inviting, being in the position to have to either reject someone or have your heart hurt. So I don't want to bother unless it's someone who gives me that spark or it's like a spe- something special what about just an evening of entertainment i have friends for that yeah it's yeah. not entertaining no it's, you. it's 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 so unpleasant entertaining. <laughs> well sure but as friends like i don't like god the the landscape of dating is so unpleasant i don't like there's all these expectations and judgments and i can experience the world freely and in so many ways just hanging out with friends and meeting new people that way that makes sense so like at the end of a date you're either being rejected or rejecting someone and it's i'd rather not unless there's actually potential the way the way it's set up now so um la let's talk about your move to la i was saying earlier that i have a little bit of la fomo i'm not (laughs) sure yet but um so you moved to la a year ago and um how how is it what's changed or what's different um it is so interesting. I did not expect LA to be as big of a change as it is. It took me by surprise. Like I didn't even factor in that I was going to be new somewhere when a part of my New York identity has been, I'm from here. I know this place. I can Mm -hmm. drive without a GPS. (laughs) That's always something. Yeah. Yeah. So I like know this town. I know New York, New Jersey, tri-state area. Like I'm good. Um, but in LA, I'm a clueless little wide-eyed little baby. I'm like, what's that? Where is that? What's go over there? Where's a good beach? Like I know nothing. (laughs) Um, and even the drive across crunchy country, it dawned on me at that moment. Wow. I'm about to experience something new every day. 
And wow. It, it was, it's wonderful. Wow. Yeah, it's that wonderful. must be great. That must be great. A yeah. rebirth of sorts, right? Absolutely. Like, I felt that even though New York constantly changes and always has something to offer you in an overwhelming way, um, I felt that in a way I had grown or expanded as much as I was going to at that point. I mean, you could, New York has everything for everyone, but as a filmmaker, yeah. I felt that I want to get serious about where I want to end up with my career. LA offers, LA for creatives, that's where creatives get hired, even if you mm-hmm. film in New York. In, in the entertainment business. Yes. Yeah. And New York is great for indie film, but after shooting my own feature, indie feature film, I can, it is not tenable for me to do another indie that involves any of my own money. So I have to get. No, sensible. <laughs> I have to get other people's money. Since my feature, I have only directed with other people's money. Um, and I mean, I used to finance my own shorts in one way or another, you know. Uh, so from now on, it has to be other people's money. And I feel my wings are completely ready to spread into bigger mm-hmm. budget territory mm-hmm. as a director. Yeah. Um, so that is where what I want next. But have, yeah. um, so, I mean, have you... Are the, I would imagine there's some opportunities there. Mm-hmm. Some does it feel like it's easier for you to work out there and find what you need and opportunities and stuff like that? I would or? I would almost never use the word easy. It's still yeah. Required. Well, well, you do want to be like a writer director mm-hmm. or what? Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, mean, I want to do what even like you have like a Brad Pitt or a George Clooney and even they with all their success and fame and notoriety, even they want to direct. So everyone wants to direct. Yeah, we know. Everyone. <laughs> so I'm going after the thing that everyone wants to do. And we live in a world where people will get hired as a director with no knowledge of how to direct. They mm. just think you just go there with your creativity without understanding it's a profoundly technical art. Mm. And I've taken the time to learn that mm-hmm. and I know what I'm doing and, yeah. um, and I love it. It's the one thing in my life that satisfies my technical logistical side with the creative side um and i do feel my voice is missing uh from the general voices that are out there you know we have women's voices but we don't have a lot of them yeah no i mean we definitely need more women who are like not going to take any shit out there just out there in the world so but uh have you is there a feeling of like you're around like the business and the mm, people yes. where you're part of that yes. is there more there is there more of that kind of feeling that kind of activity is there it's a place where in new york the people ask you what you do but you're surrounded by people who are in your similar situation which could be bad to think like there's not enough for all of us mm. or it could be good and positive if you think well if this is happening for this person i'm so close to it mm-hmm. um it can happen for me and there's just that kind of constant activity. And I feel being in New York as long as I was, there were people from the time when I was a comedian that are now like on billboards and have their own TV shows and movies. And I feel that if I was in LA when this was happening with them, perhaps I would have come up with them and they would have hired me to direct an Mm -hmm. episode. And I kind of felt that I was out of their like their immediate like thinking of like oh heather would be great for this because Mm -hmm. i was removed from that world right and i do hope that all those people the light bulb goes goes off in their brain sometime soon whether they say heather would be great for this well you know a year is not very very long and um you know your work is great i mean so uh you hear that guys but you have worked with some pretty big names like hannibal and and christian finnegan mm. and and amy schumer right um not amy schumer but uh, were you, were you on uh uh i feel pretty 
Oh, I did sound. I mean, it's different. Like you're not looked at as a creative. I've held a microphone over my peers as they thrive in the way I want to thrive. Ooh. And I hate that. <laughs> I almost never want to work on comedies because there will be people who are my exact age or were doing stand up when I was doing stand up and they have their own TV show now and we all know each other. And I honestly feel like a tool holding a microphone over them. Like I, I know, imagine. like with sound, I could be at the top of my game. Like I've been, I, I only like boom, I boom operator. I'm a sound utility or second boom on movies and TV shows. Um, and I'm not the mixer because I don't, you have to invest so much money in a kit. Like I mixed features and, and indie stuff. And then once I joined the union, you'd have to spend a hundred thousand dollars or so on a kit and it's not my end game. So in a way, like I'm in a place where if sound was what I cared about, I could be at the top of that game. Um, yeah, but it's not my passion. No, but someone but else's. A really good job, and you you're yeah. in a union. You've got amazing health care, right? I do. Yeah, yeah. That's I do. That's yeah. no. That's I, I take care. Of, Listen, I I yeah. take care of my stuff. I don't expect yeah. people to provide for me. I when I was a stand up, I was a business lady. I was the director of like content strategy at a media company, and and mm-hmm. then when the two thousand eight. Mm-hmm. Uh, crash hit I lost my job and then I went to NYU grad film mm-hmm. and then I focused but I wouldn't have gone to film school and gotten myself into student loan debt if it wasn't for the economy sure so so uh we only have a few minutes left so um women in LA I mean I've been to visit LA a bunch of I mean I haven't like hung out there for a long time in recent years so how are women treated in LA different than hmm. New York I mean in the old in the old days it wasn't yeah, we have problems. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the problems are, it's so weird. I landed in LA in the end of September and in October, Me Too happened. And uh-huh. it was so amazing. I mean, I just felt that was a beautiful, miraculous gift yeah. that suddenly the world care, cares about female directors. Like, what a weird thing that the world cares that I do what I do. Doesn't make it easy. People imagine there's all these opportunities for female directors. There's opportunities for people who have already directed episodes or have like bigger accolades. But for someone to get an episode of TV or a bigger budget for their for the first time, that's still super hard to cross over. Not impossible. And I'm banking on getting there. I'm counting on it. Uh, uh, yeah, that's what I'm going for. But so uh, my point is, is that it's this weird transformational period. I'm so grateful that people care. Um, L.A., the, I've noticed on set L.A. film crews, there's a decent amount more sexism. Mm. However, there was uh, a set. I'm working on a TV show right now that at the beginning they had a, a sexual harassment, like talk in a way that they never did before. Mm-hmm. And it has impacted behavior on set now that people have it in their mind that they have to watch what they say. And I'm mm. so glad they have to watch that what they say. That is really good to hear. Yeah, I do. You know, it is really funny because I've been I've been on this planet a long time and I have long felt disappointed about the women's movement. I mean, I felt like when I was. You know, a teenager, things were looking up more than they are now. Mm. I think we've gone backwards with all this bullshit, like plastic surgery and all this other crap. Mm. Uh, but the Me Too movement, for some reason, seems to have really changed things. And I will say this is the first time since the 60s, 70s that I've seen any real change. Yeah. Yeah, it's big. I mean, I just remember... Uh, 
there being marches on Washington for civil rights uh, when I was in college and me thinking to myself, like, why won't women do this? Why won't they stand up for themselves? Why won't we have a women's march on Washington? And I had that exact thought mm-hmm. in college in like, oh, two or some, whatever year it was. Mm-hmm. Um, and the fact is like, I was so sad that it just seemed like it was never going to happen. And it's been happening now every year and every January there's a women's march. It's great. It's great. Yeah. I think, you know, I think I keep thinking about what um, you said about your dad, like giving you a lot, giving you confidence. And I, I really think that um, that's the kind of stuff that really makes a difference with girls getting, getting a lot of confidence, getting confidence from their dads. Uh, you know, it really starts, I think it starts really young. Yeah. I mean, it was my dad and my mom. My mom was a very like, take no shit, uh, be amazing. Don't bother doing something if you're not going to give it your best and do it right. So it's really both of them. Oh, yeah. I'm so, I, I am so, so thankful for how they raised me. And there's so many things that aren't perfect and difficult about it. But man, did they give me, they did give me confidence. I, I think also uh, mothers are a lot more likely to give their daughters confidence. I just think that, uh, to really have it internalized around when you're around men, I think it's mm. really good to have a dad, a male figure, or the dudes in there going, "Yeah, you got that." Yeah. So um, anyway, let's. Uh, we've got three minutes left. So tell us again about where to find the movie. Sure. Well, heatherfink.com is my website, and that's Fink as an F is in fuzzy, I-N-K. Because <laughs> some like people think it's... Fink. Yes, exactly like Rat Fink. Um, some people think it's like Sink, and I hate that because that's not like... That's not a name. Sorry to whoever is like Mr. or Mrs. Sink out there, but Heather Fink. And uh, the movie Inside You is on um, Amazon and iTunes. I have a, a new feature, The Healing Powers of Palo Alto, that I'm developing right now. Ooh. It's a comedy about... Um, a it's a witch it's a a modern day kind of like inspired by the craft but it's a group of women in their 30s in the in the east la wellness scene oh so it's set there and it's actually about cultural appropriation and identity which is ramp cultural appropriation is rampant in the wellness scene and i think it's both funny and interesting to explore so I'm exploring that with that movie. Oh, that sounds funny. Um, Doing research on that? Yeah. It's, that must be hilarious. It's been fun. And the truth is, like, as much as I may make jokes about it, I really love all that yuppie crap, like the sound baths and crystals. You and, do? You just enjoy it? Or you, are you a little um, cynical about it? Or? I'm a little cynical, but there, I mean, the, there's certain things I really get something from, and meditation is one of them. Fucking okay, a sound bath. I yeah, want one. Sound that's, bath? That's really Ooh. good. Oh, yeah. And if you're in New York, mindful, MNDFL is the best guided meditation I've done. I started doing it. Well, when I had this bad breakup last year, I was like, I'm going to wellness the fuck out of this. And so I was just like acupuncture, sound baths, meditation. I started going to mindful. I really benefited from that. There you go. I'm going to see if I can get some sponsorship cash out of them now. Hey. Thank you. (laughs) So I just want to, um, anyway, Heather, thanks a lot. This has been really fun. So, um, and now I I have to go to L.A. and get a sound bath. Oh, I guess I should get it here first. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I just want to um, remind you guys that you're listening to Dr. Lisa on Radio Free Brooklyn. Please go to RadioFreeBrooklyn.org slash south by southwest that's swsx and vote for us 
And um, you should really stick around after this because we have the best show. It's called Lost and Rewound, and it's with my good friend Elon Danzinger, and he plays music, and he's got some great talk, and he's just the most funny, charming guy. I'm a little jealous because he gets invited on a lot of shows. He gets a lot invited on our... I have to find out what his uh, secret is, but we all we all enjoy it, so... Stick around, and thanks again for listening to Dr. Lisa Gives a Shit um, every Thursday, 2 to 3 p.m. Okie doke.